Amen, amen, amen. How we doing, church? Oh, yeah. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. You guys look great. I hope you're excited to be here. My name's Alan Moore. If you're not a regular, you can take a seat. If you're not a regular here with us this morning, you have come for a really good service today. And I'm not talking about an average service. I'm talking you are here for a really, really good service because I've got some good news for you. You know what that is? The tomb is empty. Amen. And because the tomb is empty, death is defeated, sin is paid for, Jesus is alive, and because he walked out of that tomb, you and I can walk in the newness of life. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me, Luke chapter 24. We're going to be considering the first 12 verses today with a message that I'm titling, A Surprising surprising Discovery. But before we read our text, let me start with a question this morning. Church, let me ask you, have you ever had a moment in your life? And when that moment happened, when that whatever it was, that event happened in your life, you knew at that time that that moment was going to change every other moment from that point forward. Have you ever had a time in your life where an event happened, and when that event happened, you knew that it was going to change the course for the rest of your life? Show of hands. Anybody ever been there before? I know I've been there several times. Two of them that come to my mind or when I looked at my wife several years ago, I was standing in the altar. And I looked across that way at a beautiful girl. That, i got to say she's beautiful for sure. Beautiful girl, right, by the name of Amber Marie Henschel at the time. And at that moment when I looked across there and I said those magic two words, I do, I knew that that changed my entire life from that point forward. Another time, fast forward five years after that, I remember a moment in my life when the doctor put my first little girl, her name was Jillian, she laid her into my hands. And when I looked upon that baby at that moment, I knew a new kind of love exploded in my heart at that time. And I knew that that moment changed every other moment for the rest of my life. Church, all week long, here's what I've been praying. I've been praying that you would have one of those kind of moments this morning. That's what I've been praying. I've been praying that this event that we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 24 will impact your life in such a profound way that when you walk out of this room in the next three hours or so, (laughs) those that are laughing are probably our guests, right? They don't understand. But when you walk out of this room in the next few hours, though, you're going to realize that your life is going to be changed forever. Luke chapter 24, we're going to pick it up this morning in verse 1. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, I'll have it for you on the screen. It says this, but on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's why we celebrate Easter on Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, the they that they're talking about right there, what we're going to discover in a minute, is a group of women. You're going to see that in verse 10 when we get there. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. First point this morning, if you're taking notes, is there's going to be a surprising situation. Church, let me ask you a question. Do you know the women thought when they walked up to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, do you know what they thought they were going to find at the tomb? They thought they were going to find dead Jesus. That's what they thought. They thought these women who went to the tomb that morning, they weren't looking for a resurrection. They weren't these starry-eyed, gullible, miracle-seeking women who showed up at lawn chairs with paraphernalia for Jesus to sign a bunch of autographs when he rose from the tomb. That's not what happened. In fact, if you go back to verse 1, it says they showed up with some spices. Now, when you think spices, some of you ladies in the room right now, you're thinking about your Easter lunch and you're thinking about your Easter dinner. You're thinking about rosemary or oregano or, I don't know, maybe you use cinnamon. I'm no cook, so I don't know very many spices. I'm limited in what my knowledge is. But that's not the kind of spices we're talking about right here. 
Instead, the spices that these ladies showed up with on that Resurrection Sunday were spices that were used to preserve a dead body. In other words, they weren't expecting to meet a living, breathing Jesus in that moment. They were expecting to find a corpse. That's what they thought they were going to find. They did not come to the tomb looking for a miracle. They came looking for closure. You see, in their minds, the story was over. It was, it was done. Jesus was gone. And at that point, it was time to anoint the body and just move on. And so we discover right at the beginning this surprising situation. That leads us to our second point where we find a surprising question. You see, in verse 5, there's a significant question that an angel is going to ask. And so let's unpack that. Looking at verse 4, it says, And while they were perplexed, while they were surprised, while they were shocked about what they had just discovered, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, what they're saying is, Why are you looking for life in a place that does not provide life? And you know that question for us that you see right there, Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a very, very relevant question for all of us to ask this morning. So let me ask you, church, Why do you seek the living among the dead. In other words, why do you continuously try to seek out meaning and satisfaction from things in this world that will not provide meaning and satisfaction? And to be honest, let's think about this. We all are guilty of this in some way, shape, or form. And now many of us wouldn't admit that, but the truth is that's just the pursuit of our lives every single day. For instance, some of us, we would think, I'm going to find meaning and satisfaction in money and stuff. Money and stuff. And once again, we'd never admit it, but that's just what happens. Think about it for a minute. You'll be watching TV on a Sunday afternoon. You'll be scrolling through your Instagram account. Or you'll be out shopping at the mall, and all of a sudden, you'll see something, and you'll look at it, and you say, man, I didn't even know I needed that, and now I've got to have it. Anybody been there before? You see that, you're like, i got to have that thing. And whatever it is, what happens is, whether it's a car, whether it's a cell phone, whether it's an iPad, whether it's a new set, a new suit or a new dress, so you look all fresh for Easter, whether it's a new kitchen or whatever it may be for you, what happens is this. We begin to believe that this stuff, whatever this stuff may be, is somehow going to satisfy our soul. You see, and so we do whatever we can to get that thing, but once we get it, you know what we realize? We realize that that thing will never fully and finally satisfy our lives. And the crazy part about it is, as human beings, what we do is we continue to do it over and over and over and over again. And so some of us, we look to stuff. Others of us, we look to status. We look to our status. We, we, we find ourselves saying, as soon as I get that promotion at work, Right? As soon as I graduate, or as soon as I get that reward, or as soon as I find that perfect spouse, or whenever I get there, wherever there may be for you, then at that point, I'll be fully and finally satisfied. But the problem is, when you wake up there, you begin to realize that whatever it is you were chasing in life wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And that point now, you've wasted several lives several years of your life climbing the corporate ladder thinking that when, somehow when you get to the top of that ladder, then you're going to be fully and finally satisfied. But the problem is you get there, and once again, it's just another empty cup. Because you sit back and you think, man, I'm still not fully and finally satisfied. And so some of us look to stuff. Others of us look to status. Still others of us, we look to self-improvement. We begin to do everything in our power to try to make ourselves look really, really good as if our appearance is somehow going to do something for our soul. 
I mean, be honest with yourself. Some of you, you look at it yourself and you say, man, if I could just lose that 10 to 15 pounds before summer, then at that moment, then I will be fully and finally satisfied. But here's the reality. Even if you could purchase, listen to me, church, even if you could purchase everything on your wish list this year, even if you got that promotion at work, you lost those 10 pounds in the gym and you walked in here just rich and ripped, y'all, you'd still lay your head on the pillow at night and think, man, is this it? Is this all there is in life? And church, the answer is no, that's not it. God has so much more for you. Church, here's what I want you to get. Coming close. You and I, we constantly are trying to pour ourselves into all kinds of things in this world that don't really matter as if somehow they are going to satisfy us. But what, what, what happens is when what we've got to realize is that fulfillment in this life is not out there in the world somewhere. It's not fulfillment is when you invite Jesus to come into your life and let him do a work in your soul. That's fulfillment. You see, true fulfillment will never be found in money or stuff or hobbies or vacations or status or self-improvement or relationships or fitness or anything else in this world. And listen, none of those things I listed in and of themselves, they're not bad things. However, they will never truly bring us fulfillment in life. Instead, true fulfillment is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Only found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the angels come to them and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6. They go on, they say, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, pause right there for a second. You would think that one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus, would have remembered this part of the story, wouldn't you? Like you would think that someone out of all these people would have remembered that Jesus had specifically told them over and over and over and over and over again that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and on the third day, he was going to rise. In fact, look at these different references of Jesus earlier in the book of Luke. Check these out. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. First time Jesus tells them about it, here's what he says. He says, the Son of Man, talking about me, I, I got to suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day, he must be risen. Nobody jotted that down. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wrote that down? Second time, later in that chapter, in Luke 9, verse 44 and 45. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Parents, you ever say that to your kids? Hey, look at my face when I'm talking to you, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, I want you to get this. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of the men. But they did not understand any of these things. So twice, third time, later in the book of Luke, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He, I, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock me, they will insult me, they will spit on me, they will flog me, and they will kill me. And on the third day, I will rise again. And once again, what does it say? And the disciples did not understand any of this. It's like, come on, guys. And so three times before he died, Jesus looked at his followers and he says, I'm going to die I'm going to go to the grave, and I'm going to rise again on the third, ha third day. And yet somehow, these women, they show, and the, and the men are going to follow soon, right? It's not just the women. The, these guys, somehow, when Resurrection Sunday comes around, they somehow, they're perplexed that the body is not here. Let's keep going. And so he says to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. Remember how he told you, right? Remember this. While he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise, and then they remember their words. Oh, yeah. He did tell us that, right? Verse 9. And returning from the tomb, 
They told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. Now, verse 10 is one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is simply recording history and it is not making up a fairy tale. This is one of the main reasons where I believe the Bible is recording history. Listen, if we were going to make up a religion, if Dr. Luke, the writer of this particular passage, was going to make up a story or make up a religion or try to make up evidence that this happened, then surely he would not have chose women to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And here's why. In the first century, the testimony of women was not considered valid evidence in a court of law. In fact, history tells us that even a group of women would not be able to produce evidence in a court of law, right? No emails, please. That's just what they did back in the day, okay? Now, obviously, in today's culture, you know that's not right, right? We know that's not real. That's not true today. But here's the question that I've been asking myself all week. If that was true back in the first century, then why would Jesus have chose women to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection? I'll tell you why. Because these women were the first eyewitnesses that saw the resurrection of Christ. That is what actually happened at that day. And I'll take it a step further. Do you realize who the first woman listed is? It's Mary Magdalene. What do you know about this lady by the name of Mary Magdalene? Well, let me give you a little history, a little quick review about some things about Mary Magdalene. When Mary Magdalene first met Jesus, the Gospel of Mark tells us that she had seven demons living inside her. Not one, not two, seven demons living inside her. That's Mark's way of saying that this lady was hopeless and she was helpless. In fact, Scripture actually tells us that she was a prostitute, and so just imagine what her life must have been like before Jesus. Imagine what that would have been like. She was helpless, she was hopeless, she was destitute. I mean, who's going to hire somebody with seven demons living inside them? Right? She was an outcast. She was forgotten about. Society had given up on her. But church, here's why I love our Savior. Here's why I love Jesus Christ. Because Mary, just because Mary Magdalene had a shady past, she was not discarded by our Savior. But instead, guess what? He had a purpose and he had a place for her. You know why? Because Scripture tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my friends, Mary Magdalene was in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so there's no condemnation, condemnation on her life. And so maybe you're here today. And maybe you feel right now how I just described Mary Magdalene. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel right now like you've been forgotten about or people have given up on you. Maybe you feel right now like you can't break certain addictions that are in your life. You can't get beyond certain sinful habits. Maybe you feel like you're struggling against some spiritual forces. Maybe right now you're struggling with specific relationships and you don't see how they're ever going to be restored. Maybe you feel like your life is so wrecked by sin that you don't even see a way out right now. Listen, I don't know what it is for you this morning, but no matter what you're facing, I want you to hear me well this morning. You can write this down. There is more healing in Jesus than there is sickness in you. Write it down. There is more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in you. And so be encouraged today. The empty tomb was for Mary Magdalene, yes, but the empty tomb, brothers and sisters, is also for you. It is for you as well. Point number three. 
we find a surprising change right here. As we come to the last two verses, we see a surprising change that has happened in these individuals' lives. Pick it up in verse 11. But these words that the ladies had just shared with them a moment ago, they, these words, they seem like an idle tale. In other words, they felt ridiculous. How is this possible? This isn't a real thing. There's no way this could have happened. And so they did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb. You see, Peter, he wanted to see this for himself. He had to get a closer look. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Church, if you have a Bible this morning, underline those last three words, what had happened. This is a significant thing. Listen, all week long, I've been looking and pouring over this passage, and I've just been asking myself, oh my gosh, what is it, Lord, that you want to show me? And these last three words is what he wanted to show me. It says, Peter went, away, went home marveling at what had happened. Church, Peter wasn't marveling about what he felt. Peter wasn't marveling about what he believed. Peter was marveling about what had happened that day. And what had happened was that Jesus had risen from the dead and walked out of that tomb. Amen? That's what had happened. Now, there are a lot of skeptics out there in our culture today who try to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They claim that believing in the resurrection of Jesus is like believing a fairy tale or believing a story out of Disney. It might sound like a nice story, but honestly, it certainly could no way be true. And maybe you're in that boat today. And so the question for me to answer and the question for us to answer is, are there convincing reasons right now to believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened? And the answer of that is, yes, there are. And so what I want to do, there's more than four, but I want to give you four really solid reasons of why today and yes, today, you can believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. We're going to do this quick. And so stay with me. The first one is this. We have the eyewitnesses who actually saw Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that more than 500 people, more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus in different places over a period of 40 days. Now, if one or two people had seen Jesus when he had risen from the dead, then there would be reason to speculation, there would be reason to doubt. But church, 500 people? Think about that. Any kind of event that happened today and was, that was witnessed by 500 people would be more than sufficient evidence to believe that it really took place. And so first reason is the eyewitnesses. Second reason is the testimony of Jesus' brothers. The testimony of his brothers. In John chapter 7, before Jesus was actually crucified and killed for uh, the reasons that he was, before he was killed, his brothers actually did not believe in him. They did not think that he was the Son of God. And let's be honest this morning. How many of you, raise your hand nice and high, how many of you have a brother? Maybe you have a brother. Don't be shy. All right, now let me ask you this. What would your brother have to do right now to convince you that he was the Son of God? <laughs> if your brother came up to you and said, Behold... I'm the Lamb of God. You say, you're the Lamb of something. You ain't the Lamb of God, my friend, right? I mean, there's no way. And his brothers were in the exact same situation. However, watch this. After the resurrection of Christ, after he had been crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the dead, both James and John became leaders in the church and wrote books in the New Testament. What happened to have such a drastic change? I'll tell you what happened. They saw the resurrected Christ. That's what happened. So that's reason number two. Reason number three. The transformation and the death of the apostles. The transformation and the death of the apostles. Church, the apostles were almost immediately transformed from men who were hopeless and fearful before the resurrection into men who were confident and bold after the resurrection. Think about this for a minute. 
They went from hiding in a back room with the doors locked out of the fear for the Jewish leaders in John chapter 20 to standing face to face with the Pharisees and Sadducees and saying, you do whatever it is you got to do for us, but we can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. That's what it says in Acts 4. They can't help but talk about what they have seen and heard. Not what they believed in, not what they felt, but what they had saw and what they had heard and what they had saw was a resurrected Christ. Not only that, but according to church history, all the apostles were killed for their faith, except for John. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Now, if you had made up that story, or if these young guys, remember, they're like teenagers in early 20s, if they had made up that story, then don't you think that at least some of them, when faced with death, would have changed that story? Would have said, yeah, we got Jesus in a Yeti cooler in the garage. Right? That's what... I mean, these guys, there's, so, there's no way none of them would have changed their story. And that's, that's exactly what happened. Despite facing persecution and death, these men stood firm in what they saw and what they heard. Not what they believed in, but what they saw and heard. Number four, last one, the physical body of Jesus. How do you explain the physical body of Jesus? Listen, Rome at that time, the Roman Empire, wanted to squash this whole Christianity uprising. And in order to do that, all the Roman Empire had to do was go to the tomb. And listen, they knew where the tomb was because they would have had the address. They had a deed on that property. They used Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And we know they knew where the tomb was because they had 48 Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb. And so all the Roman Empire had to do was go to the tomb and bring out dead Jesus, hang dead Jesus in the streets, and then all of us can just simply go home because this religion would be dead. Right? That's all they had to do. But you know what? They couldn't do it, could they? They absolutely couldn't. Nobody at that time, nobody in the entire Roman Empire could claim we found the body. Do you know why? Because the body was not there. The body had risen from the grave. Jesus had risen and defeated the grave once and for all. And so, as you can see, very clearly, the reason the resurrection of Jesus is recorded in the Bible, the reason I have no problem believing in the resurrection of Jesus is because it actually happened. It is not a myth. It is not a fairy tale that we are talking about this morning. We are talking about an actual historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. And so, based on everything I've shared this morning, the question I have for you is this. Are you ready to believe it? Are you ready to believe it? Church, on this Easter morning in 2023, how do you respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do you respond? Well, if you're a Christian in the room today, your response is simple. You rejoice today. That's what you would do. You rejoice. You, the Easter, listen, Easter is the annual time where we get to come together and we get to remind ourselves of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the grave. And so, brothers and sisters in the room, take time to rejoice with one another today. Today is a good day. Today is a great reminder. And take time this week to live out the Great Commission and share Jesus' resurrection with someone you know. That's your response today. But for the others of you in the room, maybe those of you who are not Christians yet, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there really only is one way for you to respond today, and that is for you to become one. It's for you to become a Christian this morning. You see, Jesus, through his resurrection, he has redeemed you just like he redeemed Mary Magdalene. His death and resurrection paid the penalty for your sin, paid the penalty for my sin, and it proved that he truly is the Son of God. That's what he did. And now he offers every single one of us the free gift of eternal life. But just like any other gift you may receive in this world, you have to receive it. 
You have to accept it. It's not automatic for everyone. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, what? He gave the right to become children of God. And so some of you this morning, you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Some of you need to believe in his name so that you can become one of God's children today. And listen, when that happened to me, it was one of those experiences like I shared about at the very beginning of my message. It was one of those life-changing moments when I knew that everything in my life was going to be different. Listen to me. Look at me, church. 24 years ago, I was sitting at a youth camp. It's called Fall Retreat at the time. And I sat there on a Saturday night in the chair. My youth pastor, by the name of Joby Martin at the time, he preached this dynamic message. And I remember sitting in that chair. I sat down. I wrapped both my feet around the poles of the chair. I put my arms behind the chair. And I thought, there's nothing, no power that is going to get me out of this chair tonight. I'm too scared. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too proud. I'm not coming forward. It's not happening. And I sat there, and we began to sing, and I think we sang 17 different verses at the same time over because the Lord was waiting on me. <laughs> and finally, at some point, I felt this power. I can't explain it, but I believe it because it happened to me, and you can't deny it. This power pulled me out of my chair, and I found myself walking forward. I don't even know how it happened. And I came to my youth pastor in tears, and on that very night as a sixth-grade boy, I tasted the love of Christ for the very first time. I experienced Jesus in my life. My eyes were open to him for the very first time. My heart was on fire, and my life has changed. And so my question this morning to you is, how about you? Why not you? What's holding you back right now from giving your life to Christ? Listen, maybe you've been coming to church for a long, long time. Maybe you've heard this resurrection story 25 different times in your life, but for whatever reason, today is the day that your eyes have been opened. And you feel like right now you're ready to experience Jesus for the very first time. If that's you, then I want to give you the same opportunity that my youth pastor gave me 24 years ago. I want to give you the opportunity to admit that you're a sinner and to believe that somehow, 2,000 years ago, when Christ died on that cross, somehow it counted for me. I can't explain it, but somehow that counted for me. And so some of you this morning, you need to believe and you need to become a Christian today. And then, and then after you've been saved, your first step is right there. It's those waters of baptism. You see, baptism, it's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. That's what it is. I wear this wedding ring everywhere I go. You know why I wear this wedding ring? Because I'm married. Very good. <laughs> He's got it. Nailed it. Because I'm married. And listen. That moment that I said I do, my wife didn't even give me a choice. I was tears. John Sharp can testify he married us. I was a mess. And I said I do, and she didn't waste a minute. She slid that thing on right away. You know why? Because she was declaring, I was declaring to this guy, all the single ladies, you can back up, right? <laughs> I made a commitment to somebody. And some of you today, you're going to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, and you don't need to leave here without doing that. You need to go through the waters of baptism. I didn't wait six months to put my ring on. I didn't wait a couple years to put my ring on and make sure I was doing things the right way. I did it that day. I did not delay. And in the same way, you should get baptized as soon as you make a commitment to Christ as well. And so there are some of you right now who are going to become Christians today. And if that's you, then I want to encourage you to get baptized this morning. This morning. 
There are others of you who have been saved for a long, long, long time, but for whatever reason, you've never taken that first step of obedience. And today is your day. You didn't come prepared for it, I know. You're in your Easter best, but listen, today is your day, and you need to get baptized today. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Alan, I didn't bring my clothes. Like I said, I got my Easter dress on. I ain't getting in that tub in this dress. Well, let me tell you, we've been doing this for a long, long time. We've been baptizing for a long, long time, and we, you may not have been prepared for today, but we were prepared for you, and we've been preparing for a long, long time. And so I've got shorts that are modest, don't worry. I've got dark-colored T-shirts, and I've got towels. And so clothes for you this morning are not an excuse. If you need to get baptized, you need to get baptized. Some of you, you might be thinking, well, is that really important? Is it really that important for me to get baptized? After, my, after I experience this, is it really that important? Yes, it's that important. Absolutely, it's that important. You may say, well, I don't feel like all these years, I haven't felt like it affects my ability to be a Christian. Well, with all due respect this morning, I don't think it's a good idea for one, you to start your relationship with Jesus, or B, to continue your relationship by Jesus, with Jesus by telling him which of his commands you think are important and which ones are not. So some of you need to be obedient to that this morning. Jesus says, this is what you do after you become a Christian. This is what you do. This is your first step as my follower. Others of you right now, you may be thinking this. Well, pastor, I'm scared. There's a lot of people in here. I'm scared too, right? I'm scared too. How do you overcome that anxiety that's in your heart? Listen, I got good news for you this morning. God did not give you a spirit of fear, church. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I would encourage you, embrace the fear and just walk up here and declare Jesus as your Lord. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. And so here it is. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you need to believe and be baptized both. And so what we're going to do is this. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer in just a moment. It's called a sinner's prayer. You probably heard it before, but it's a sinner's prayer. It's going to give you an opportunity. Anybody that needs to believe in Jesus today, you can do this in just a moment when I close in prayer. And then after I say amen, I'm going to give you some clear instructions. If you want to get baptized today, I'm going to give you instructions on how to do that. Just a moment. Everybody bow our heads. Everybody praying. Father, Lord, you are good. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that's why we are here today. Because what, why we are here is because you walked out of that grave. That's what happened. Jesus, that's what happened. And so right now, I'm going to get straight to the point. I want to pray for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. I want to pray that somehow their eyes would be open and they would, they would see clearly this morning. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And so, church, if you want to be saved right now, I want you to call upon the name of the Lord right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. This morning, I realize that I have messed up. I've gone my own direction. And that I'm not seeking after you. But Jesus... This morning, I believe that you are a Savior. I believe that when you walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, Lord, your death counted for me. And I believe this morning that your resurrection was victory over the grave. And right now, I want to put my faith and trust in you so that I can walk out of this room this morning with confidence that I will go to heaven when I die. Father, I also pray for those right now who you're stirring in their hearts because they know in the depths of who they are right now that they have been disobedient to your command of baptism. They've been fighting it. They don't want to do it for whatever reason it is. Maybe they're too proud. Maybe they're too scared. Maybe they're nervous. Not sure what people are going to think of them. I don't know what the reason is, Father, but you do. 
And so right now, I pray that you will send your spirit into their heart and convict them, show them their need to be baptized right now. And I pray that in just a moment, when we give the instruction, they will stand up with boldness and come declare who you are today. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.